In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The solemnity of the baptism of the Lord over the years has been an occasion for priests to try to emphasize the importance of baptism. One of the ways that I've tried over the years is to distinguish it clearly from the baptism of John the Baptist, so that you realize what this sacrament is distinct from what St. John the Baptist was doing. When we hear this gospel, we can easily be confused and think that John the Baptist was baptizing. We associate that word almost exclusively exclusively with the sacrament. Baptizing is the use that refers to a simple ritual of immersion. It's a Greek word that simply means immersion. Now, Zechariah told his son that he would go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sin. And so St. John the Baptist was using a fairly common Jewish ritual. If someone was ritually unclean, they would have to be washed in order to be made clean. And so there was a kind of forgiveness at work, but nothing that communicates salvation to people. It heralded the coming of salvation, and he made it clear, I'm just baptizing you with water. This is just water. But one will come, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's also possible to emphasize the importance of baptism by pointing out this distinct message that comes clearly from heaven to God, and it even applies to us. This is my beloved Son. It's important for us to remember that in baptism, we're not just cleansed of original sin and given baptism. We are made adopted children of God. Heaven becomes our inheritance. You become divine royalty. Today, let's penetrate the significance of baptism through another avenue, which is just simply recognizing the humility of what's going on. The fathers of the church talk about different aspects of this mystery. Almost universally, they talk about the water being changed when Christ went into the River Jordan. Christ wasn't changed. He's God. He doesn't need the ritual. He's not a sinner. He didn't undergo any change. The water was changed. It sounds at least interesting, if not mystical, Well, consider how water played an important role in salvation history, always communicating life and death at the same time. At the flood, it was the waters that destroyed everything, but at the same time carried Noah's ark to safety. The Red Sea parted so as to give passage to Moses and the Jewish people, but at the same time meant death for the pursuing chariots and charioteers. Our Lord bringing us into the promised land of heaven is very directly foreshadowed by Joshua, the heir of Moses. Moses dies on Mount Nebo, having seen the promised land, but cannot go there with his people. Joshua will lead them. Yeshua, it's the same name as our Lord, just translated differently to distinguish it. And he crosses the River Jordan and brings God's chosen people into the promised land. It's that same river, probably very close to that very same spot where our Lord goes and encounters John the Baptist. Our Lord doesn't need it. 
It's for our benefit. It's for the immediate benefit of John the Baptist. We don't know what their relationship was like as cousins after their meeting at the visitation when in each other's wombs they encountered each other, when in each other's mother's wombs they encountered each other. John the Baptist knew by intuition, let's say, that the person coming to him should not be baptized. If anything, it should be the other way around. It was at the conclusion of that, after our Lord came out of the water, that this the sign and the message came from heaven, a sign that was promised to John the Baptist so that he would recognize the Messiah. His intuition is confirmed. This is the one who's been promised. This is the one whose way I've been preparing. And he's able to point out to everyone, behold the Lamb of God. Consider our Lord's incredible humility in all of this. He subjects himself to a ritual which is proper for sinners who want to proclaim their sinfulness. And he has none, except for insofar as he is here on all of our behalf to die for our sins. It's very similar to his being subjected to circumcision at the hands of his father, being inflicted a wound so as to be inscribed into a covenant which he does not need because he is God the giver of covenants. And we see this same drama play out in, in its fullest expression on the cross. He allows himself to be subject to men, to be treated like a sinner, but now to accomplish, to create a new covenant, an eternal covenant. He subjects himself to the man John the Baptist. He allows his head to be pushed into the water. And it's now that water, that same element, that in his divine humility, he permits to be the means for us to receive salvation, for us to receive the grace that comes from the cross. The blood and water flowing from his side is for the church a sign of the grace that comes from the cross. Imagine the the utter humility of God to permit us to become members of this covenant, to receive the full benefit of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross through the, the simplest and meagerest of elements, just water. Almost unnecessary. The vast majority of our body already is composed of water. I imagine if, if we were God for a moment, thank goodness none of us are, and we invented the way that believers, that our creatures would become able to receive the benefit of Christ on the cross, can you, can you imagine the, the obstacle courses or the, or the challenges or the tests or the requirements that we would come up with so that people could, could, could deserve to benefit from the, to the, from the grace of our Lord's death. God permits us to receive that grace through the simplest element of water. What he requires of us not is something great. What he requires of us is our humility. Originally, baptism being conferred by your being submerged in water three times, moving water, which is to say a a river. 
By the end of the first century, that baptism ritual was allowed to be performed in a pool. Still, you're moving up and down, but the water was moving. And then just after the end of the first century, it was permitted by pouring water over your head. Not putting water on your forehead, but pouring water on your skin. It's the River Jordan where all of this finds its origin. It's in this moving water where you receive the grace at the hands of a man, or at least at the hands of another human being. When it's the priest who does your baptism, the water he blesses beforehand, unless it's already been blessed at Easter. But any human being using any water can and must confer the sacrament of baptism. God doesn't even require the the minister of the sacrament to be a believer. He allows salvation to be communicated to others by creatures who aren't even his children yet. Remember the outrage of the apostles who saw people preaching and casting out demons because those people, they're using your name, but they're not really one of us. God is going to permit salvation to be communicated by anybody. Now, the minister of the sacrament has to have the intention of doing what the church understands happens in the sacrament. This isn't hypothetical. Generations of nurses who work in labor and delivery, even non-Christians, know that if a Christian baby is born, or rather, if a baby is born of Christian parents, and that baby is in danger of death, even that non-Christian nurse will know how to do the baptism. And thank goodness for that. They knew more about the faith than most of us. And the necessity of baptism to wit. How utterly humble that God is that he allows his power to be at our disposal. And then for that baptized Christian, for you, he gives you the power to sanctify to pray, to offer up sacrifice, for parents to bless their children. He gives men and women the power to confer the sacrament of holy matrimony and to renew that sacrament to each other. He hasn't just simply wiped away the stain of sin. He has raised us to a dignity far beyond Adam and Eve's. He has made us co-workers, not just beneficiaries of salvation. So we pray to have the proper humility to know how to do these divine actions on behalf of God. There will be little time between this conclusion of Christmastide and the beginning of Lent. So it's appropriate for us already to turn our attention to our Lord on the cross. The wound in the side showing the blood and water flowing from his sacred heart. And we ask our Lord Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto thine. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.